Just a warning before we get into things, there is discussion about mental health and suicide in today's conversation, so if these are traumatic topics for you, then I would recommend you skip this episode. It's a common, often unspoken understanding that mental health isn't really a thing that many Asian cultures speak openly about. In fact, it's often taboo to talk about mental health issues. Of course, this is a generalization, but judging by the conversations I have with my friends and from the stories I've read online, it's a pretty common experience across all Asian communities. For this episode, I sat down with my lifelong friend Jenny to talk about her mental health journey and the new perspective and determination she's found after giving birth to her first child, Orla. Thanks for having me over this morning. How's new mum life going? It's going a lot better than I expected it would. You hear all the bad stories mostly about how tough it can be, how you don't get to sleep as well. But very luckily for me, I seem to have the angel baby right now. Touch wood. <laughs> yeah, it could literally change tomorrow. Was it everything that you've expected to be so far? No. Like, as I said, I expected it to be a lot harder. So I feel a little bit like I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop with her. Right. And it just hasn't yet. Yeah, but that's quite unusual. <laughs> because that's, that's what people around you keep saying, right? Like... Oh, she's good now, but she must. Yes, that's it. Everyone is telling me that, oh, you know, enjoy it while it lasts because it's not going to. So then I feel like it kind of keeps me on the edge wondering when she is going to throw a tantrum or. Kind of makes you anxious, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) What's been like the most challenging thing so far? I would say probably my own anxiety, not Mm. to do with her because she has been great. But my own worries, my own stress, feeling like um, is she at the same age, at the same level as every other baby as well um, in terms of development. Because mm. people are telling me that their babies are smiling at a certain age. And I look at her and she's still just staring blankly at me. And I wonder, you know, are we going to get there or am I doing something wrong? Like, I obviously don't have children, but I mean, I, I feel like that's probably something quite common amongst new mums, right? Especially if it's your first baby, like you're not really sure. Um, babies must be like, you know how people, everyone's a little bit different. So babies must be a little bit different as well. So yeah, like they all have their own little personalities and their quirks and it's just trying to learn that as well. You know, like when you, when you meet a new person, like they, you know, they share the best sides of themselves. You're trying to figure out, hey, what else are you hiding? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I can imagine it being so tough because you've got so many different voices and like, I don't know if you guys have bought like parenting books or anything, but they all seem to say like different things, like conflicting things sometimes. No to the parenting books, um, personally, because I feel overwhelmed with that much information. And I think that I've been given a lot of advice Definitely some of it conflicting, but you just learn to pick and choose from it as well. Being like, oh, this is more practical to me or this totally didn't work at all. I feel like when I was breastfeeding, that was probably a really big topic, especially in New Zealand, because they're they're very pro breastfeeding to the point that they will not even tell you about formula. You'll probably have to ask and yeah, like force a midwife to tell you at this stage. I feel like there are a lot of things with motherhood 
that are so controversial, like for example, breastfeeding, like yes. you, you get very polarizing opinions about it and people get very up in arms. You get very worked up because how I feel about breastfeeding is that um, you get made to feel like you're a bad mum already. Mm. If you can't do it, like your baby is days old and someone will tell you that you're failing at being a new mother simply because you weren't able to breastfeed or that you found it tough. Like that was really hard. That happened to me in the hospital. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had a really good midwife who stepped in and said that, you know what, as long as your child is fed, that is the best thing for them. So don't worry about it. But when you're that vulnerable as well, having just given birth, you're going to feel like absolute crap. All the hormones and stuff yeah, as well. And everything is swirling around yeah. and you have so much doubt already. You've got this tiny new person. You don't know what to do with them at all. I am almost 11 weeks in now with Orla and I don't know if it's baby brain, but I honestly cannot remember the first few weeks already. And I think that's part of it that you forget on purpose mm. when it was hard and you just try and focus on the good stuff at this stage. I don't really recall what life was like without her simply because we have kept our lives pretty simple as it is. We mostly, we're, we're morning people. We do things during the daytime. So with her, we probably just, you know, sleep a little less and get up a little bit earlier. Yeah. And she just, we do our best to make sure she fits into our lifestyles as well. And do you have a good support group? Well, my husband is really supportive. He took a month off work. He has cut his hours at work so he can come home and help me with her in the mornings. He's the one who gets up at about 4.30 and then just looks after her until I get up about 8. And then he'll go to work and come home as soon as he can to take over. He's always been the early bird to get up and exercise and do the things he wants to do before he goes to work for the day. And she's just fitted in really well. That's what I mean when I think that we have quite an easy baby because she hasn't been fussy. She will, he'll be able to give her a bottle and she'll just go to sleep. And then where he can exercise beside her and <laughs> she's not bothered by any of the noise. He's doing like his sit-ups and planks. <laughs> yep. He uses her as a dumbbell sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I've definitely heard about it. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Doing his agility with her out on the deck. <laughs> so you talked a bit earlier about feeling a little bit of anxiety around how you're parenting, whether you're doing it right. And you have mentioned that you do feel a bit of anxiety, like for the future. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess to start with is this is not something that people talk about that often, maybe it doesn't affect that many people. I'm not really sure, but I found pregnancy really traumatic. Like that was a lot of where my anxiety and stress about being a new mom came from because it was so hard for me. I was really ill for the first half of the pregnancy. The only reason I didn't end up in hospital is because I was terrified that if I went, I would catch COVID and my baby would die. I just stayed home and just cried for 20 weeks. Then after the vomiting stopped, I developed a carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm. So that was a constant pain in my arms, the loss of feeling in my hands and fingers. And I'm still trying to regain that strength back now. I was worried already about having a biracial baby, I guess is the best way to put it. So just to clarify, uh, your husband is Irish. Yes. And you are Taiwanese. Yes. Yeah, and I grew up in New Zealand, so, you know, my identity is still something that I struggle with at times. But in the world where we're in right now, there's a lot more biracial babies. Uh, when I lost my job 
previously, I then started a new one at a daycare and there's so many more like children of mixed ethnicities there. And it's really nice to see knowing that this is becoming more common and she will have friends that are like her. Maybe that's the difference between our generations and earlier versus later generations having more variety um, and having more people around them who are like them. Yes. Because like we went to the same primary school briefly (laughs) and I felt even though we grew up in an era that is now so full of Asian communities, I felt like there weren't that many Asian kids when we were growing up. I didn't think so, but at the same time, I think this is where I say I struggle my identity because when I was young, I wanted to identify as being Kiwi. I didn't want to acknowledge the fact that I was different. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Like, same. This is, this is the struggles we had growing up. Yeah. And I don't want her to have those struggles. Like That was really painful in certain instances when you did experience racism and you're too young to understand why. You know, but then those things, like those moments stay with you the rest of your life. Do you remember some of the most? I remember, this is probably the one incident that I've never forgotten because I was just so unexpected. I had started a new primary school and I joined um, the girl guides with a friend. And just during one of our activity nights, someone brought their younger sister over. She was the most adorable, like angelic little toddler. And there was a game where we were all to hold hands and dance around in a circle. So I was at the end of the line and I reached out to take her hand. She looked at me and goes, no, I can't touch you. You're dirty. <gasps> what? Yep. So the, I can't believe that. She might have been five at the most. Wow. Just so small, so cute. And she told me that I was too dirty to what? touch. It was awful because I was shocked. And what made it worse was no one else said anything. Another girl just swapped with me quietly and took her hand instead. The adults that heard it didn't say a single thing. And we all just pretended like nothing happened. And as a child, like that was really damaging. Wondering, am I dirty? What's wrong with me? How come no one's ever told me before that there was something wrong with me? Yeah. You know, and yet it's a, it's a toddler that told me that. Children learn from their surroundings. So where did she learn that from? See, so when I got older and I thought about it some more, I got angrier because those parents, like my, the supervisors at Girl Guys, they should have stepped in. They should have come up to me and said that that was not the right thing for her to say. Are you okay? You know, we support you. Because this is what Girl Guys was about, you know, supporting each other and growing and learning new skills. And yet that ruined it for me. And I think from that incident, I didn't want to go anymore. Yeah. Because I didn't feel supported. Yeah. I didn't feel like these are my friends anymore, even though no one had ever been rude to me before that moment. Yeah. And it's the whole staying silent thing as well. Like I get that people don't know what to say in those situations, but it's also kind of confirming that it's okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. When you're silent, you're confirming that their actions are right. And that is really, really painful to live with still. Yeah. Sorry you had to experience that. I'm sure we all have our own stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting doing this podcast as well because everyone has such similar experiences growing up. Um, 
but do you find we don't talk about them so we don't know exactly like that's been some of the feedback as well on this podcast so far it's like yeah like we all have these shared experiences but we've never ever talked about them but it's not like we all get together for like a nice brunch and then it's like oh so what racism did you experience (laughs) tell me about your shame (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um okay so obviously you're worried that Orla will experience something similar I know she will and that's that's just the sad part of life you know someone is going to learn something that they probably shouldn't and then say something to my baby girl and hurt her in that way Mm. but all I can do is reassure her that that person isn't right try and make sure she's exposed to a lot of cultures and just a lot of people from different backgrounds so she doesn't ever treat anyone else like that and have you had these discussions with your husband I try to but <laughs> as a white European man, um, he just doesn't understand. And it's not that he doesn't want to, but it's just I can't communicate in a way to help him as well. I'm still learning. So I'm a little bit worried that it'll probably take an incident of racism towards our daughter before he'll finally start to understand where I'm coming from. Mm. When you don't have those lived experiences, it's quite hard to really really appreciate exactly where the other person is coming from even with conversations around what happened recently in the u.s with the shooting like trying to explain why i take it so personally and why an attack on them is like an attack on all of us is just it's very difficult to explain it's like you don't even know these people but honestly it hurt just the same it's so painful because we see ourselves in these people We see our parents, we see our family, you know, our friends. Like, that could have been us. There's such typical migrant stories, right? Like, the single mothers who work so hard and, like, give up everything for their children. That could be my mum. That could be your mum. That could be any of our friends' mothers. It could be our mothers going to the shops to pick up treats for Chinese New Year. You know, like, that's such a common thing that happens. And you don't expect someone to just walk right up to you and punch you in the face. Like, it makes me cry just thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. I actually had an incident this time last year when when everything was taking off in the world. I went to one of the local cafes to pick up a coffee, not even for me, but for my husband. And the girl who took my coffee order, I've been in this cafe maybe 10 or 20 times over the past few years. She wouldn't look me in the eye, and she just put my coffee cup on the counter and walked away. I didn't think too much about it at the time. Um, I just assumed she was busy and someone made the order. After about 15 minutes, I'm kind of looking at my watch going, what was happening here? Because mm. I've just been standing at the counter. And then at about 20 minutes, the manager stops me and asks me if I'm still waiting for a coffee. And I see her go around to the back, clearly tell this girl off and bring me my coffee and apologize for the wait. So it made me feel real awkward because I didn't know Was she just being young and forgetful or was she actually being racist? You know, especially as COVID was taking over the world. And I just didn't know how to react to it. I was the one who felt ashamed and embarrassed when later she's the one who should have been embarrassed of her actions. This is what I talk about when I say, you know, some people just don't have these experiences. They don't understand the shame of being othered like that, of being discriminated for something that you haven't done. Overall, though, are you guys feeling quite positive about the future ahead for your little family? I am. I am because my husband and I are both quite strong personalities. 
you know, if someone says something to my child, we will not back down at all. We will be there for her. We will speak up for her. That strength I've had to learn myself because there wasn't anyone to defend me. My parents loved me, but they didn't experience these incidents with me and they wouldn't have known how to handle them, even if they did. And my husband, he's not had these experiences before, but I think when it comes to his little girl, he will have no problem being vocal and wanting to know why someone has said something to her in a particular way. And I think going back to your point before about having these conversations with him, it's kind of also giving him the tools to be able to explain certain things to her, right? Exactly. If like you're not around or if he's with her, say out at the shops and something happens, he needs to be able to. He needs to reassure her then and there. I don't want him to just walk her home to me and then have me talk to her about it because how long has she then carried this confusion and embarrassment with her as to why something's happening that she didn't understand. So we will need to have more of these conversations as she grows and interacts with the world around her. You know, as a parent, I think all we can do is try and avoid the mistakes our parents made with us. You know, whatever we do, try and keep our mistakes to minimal ones that it won't affect her too much. Yeah, and try not to pass on the traumas that your parents passed on to you. Exactly. Yeah, and that's something that we've talked about as well, like the whole trauma thing, but also like mental health as well, especially in Asian families, because I think it's quite common to just sort of brush that sort of stuff under the rug and not talk about things. Yes. So do you want to talk from like your experiences and your perspectives. I mean, this is still tough for me to say now, but um, two weeks before I turned 21, my dad died in a car accident in Taiwan. And that incident has shaped me into the person I am now. At the time, it felt like it broke me. I found it really hard to carry on at all. I'd say I spent two years living a very reckless life and hoping to die but, you know, I didn't. I'm still here. And I'm very grateful to that. I'm very grateful to have met my husband who helped me through it in the end. And the friends that I have around me to still support me even when they didn't know what to say or what to do. So I count myself very lucky to still be here. I was putting myself in some very, very dangerous situations with complete strangers. If they had not been good people, then I wouldn't be here today but I'm very lucky that I've always managed to draw good people to me, whether I intend to or not. Do you think part of that sort of self-destructive behavior was because you didn't feel like you had the tools or avenues to cope with the grief that you were feeling? I felt like I wasn't able to express my grief. I suffered depression and anxiety from his death, from the trauma. My family were all split up over the world. Me and my siblings were scattered. My mother was in China trying to claim back our property, you know, trying to tie up all the loose ends that you have when you have an entire life. So I didn't have support. I had my younger sister, but I felt like I was putting more trauma onto her if I shared how I was feeling. So I know I really, really worried her for the first year or so just because I was basically comatose in my bedroom. I could hardly get up and do anything at all. And I just think that, you know, culturally it wasn't really acceptable to express my grief beyond the funeral. 
And even then, I remember at the funeral for my father that I rushed back to Taiwan for, one of my aunts came up to me and told me that my, my black dress was too low cut. I did not have time to rush out and buy a new black dress before I got onto that plane, still crying the whole way. Mm. You know, I, I'm sorry that I wasn't dressed appropriately for my dad's funeral. I really don't think he would have cared. But it hurt me that this is what they were coming to talk to me about, that they thought I had dressed inappropriately as opposed to telling me how sorry they were for the loss that I had experienced. It's like, such a weird pattern of behavior exactly and it's so unsurprising no because in asia you're so concerned with appearances i've been told i'm too dark that i get too much sun that i shouldn't dress this way that i shouldn't talk this way or eat that or do this you know everyone is judging you constantly and i feel like that's a reflection on them that they live in fear of being judged for their own actions so they do it first to someone else i just didn't feel supported by my family you know, I know that my mum meant well, but she wasn't physically here to support me. She was too busy just trying to keep our assets, you know. My siblings were in different countries as well, and we weren't able to talk to each other or help each other through it. So what did eventually help you out of it? I think what shook me in the end was... When I tried to overdose um, in front of my sister and seeing her cry at finding me, that was probably what shook me out of it, that the realization that if something happened to me, it would also hurt her. And she's kind of been through enough. She's my baby sister. I didn't want to hurt her in that way. And because of that, I decided I had to live. You know, I couldn't just keep trying to run from the pain. I had to actually deal with this. That's when I talked to my mother and I told her I needed help. I needed to see someone. And what was her reaction? <laughs> she was not the most supportive because, uh, as you know, mental health, all of the stuff is kind of swept under the rug in Asian society. You don't talk about it. You don't let anyone know what's happening inside the family. She agreed to pay for um, therapy sessions. I went to see my GP. She got me as many free sessions as she possibly could. Like They were so supportive. You know, you find the right doctor, you find the right therapist, and it just it can change everything. And I had an amazing doctor who did everything she could to help me in that regard. But still, you, you know, the stuff costs. Everything costs money. And after maybe five sessions, my mother asked me, why I wasn't better and what was wrong with me as a person to still be upset about my dad's death. And this was how long after he died? Well, I didn't get help until almost two years after he died. I remember very early on within the first six months of him passing away, I lost a lot of friends, uh, a boyfriend and I broke up because no one could seem to understand how to treat me anymore. And they didn't want to be around the sad person who would cry then I learned to shove it down because I felt like that there was something wrong with me that I shouldn't be expressing this grief. So I kept it to myself and tried to be the happy, carefree person that they were expecting. I remember at the time you actually did tell me about some of your friends who they were very close to you, but then they told you that they couldn't be around you anymore because no. of 
your grief, which yeah. to me just sounds so just unthinkable. Yeah. When your good friend is grieving, you don't just up and leave. You don't put your own pain first. You know, that made me reassess a lot of my friendships then. And anyone who did still stick with me, even though they didn't know what to do. Like, I remember you were there and you had said to me, you know, like, I, I don't know what to do, but I am still here. And that was helpful. You know, like, I didn't want to overload you with what I was feeling, but it was still nice to know that you weren't going to leave me no matter what. When so many other people had just told me they couldn't be around me anymore, that I was just too sad for them. I mean, I reflect back on it now and I think, you know, we were all still so young. You think by your 20s you're an adult, but really you're not. You know, we're learning and changing every single day. Yeah. And I just can only hope that they've grown up a bit more now. I think it's a lack of life experience as well. Mm. You know, because where we live, you know, we're so privileged. The friends that I have, a lot of them hadn't experienced any kind of trauma or very, or deaths in their family, anything like that. You know, the worst thing might have been a divorce of the parents. So for them, it's very hard to understand when you haven't had that experience yourself. You don't know how to react. And no one else is modeling appropriate behavior either. Sounds like a lack of empathy, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to make excuses for them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But as you say, hopefully, you know, we are older now. Hopefully exactly. they've gone through life a bit more and yeah. they wouldn't behave in the same way. I mean, for me, hearing that it just it's kind of shocking and I can understand how hurt you'd be as well by the fact that your own mother didn't try her best to help you like you had to see a health professional my mother struggles herself she still does I know she struggled then so I think none of us were in a place to help each other I do wish she had said okay we all need to get some professional help as opposed to telling me that there was something wrong with me for asking for it. Cause that's how I felt. I felt like I was letting her down by asking for help, by telling her I couldn't cope anymore. How do you think that whole experience has affected your relationship with your mom? It's pretty strained. Like it's always been quite strained our entire lives simply because we are quite similar in personality, we're both very strong, which means we clash the most often. I think as an adult now, I can reflect on a lot of my childhood and understand it better, but it doesn't mean I accept it. I understand why she did the things she did, why she wasn't around for a lot of it, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't so traumatic for me. Like for a lot of my childhood, as you know, I didn't have very much adult supervision. I had an older sister who, you know, very lovely, but she had her own life and she wasn't really paying that much attention to her younger sisters and what we were up to. So I was getting into all kinds of trouble, climbing onto roofs, falling off trees, you know, showing up at your house every second day. Yeah. And your mother must have just been like, do I have another child? <laughs> Eating all her dumplings. Exactly, because she made the best food. I remember you used to steal my lunch because I, I used know. to have athletics training and yeah. then I'd come back and you'd like you'd eaten all my dumplings. <laughs> I was the most horrible child. <laughs> so what ideally do you think, because I don't think that you would be alone in this experience. I, I think this is very much um, Asian culture. Well, as far as I, I know of it as well, you know, it's all about the appearances and 
how you're perceived by the people around you and just trying to keep the stuff under the rug. Yeah. My mother has a pretty contentious relationship with um, my older siblings as well. But if you're ever out and you hear at the hairdresser, she's telling them how proud she is, that my sister is a businesswoman, that my brother's doing so well. And, you know, just embellishing the truth a lot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds super tiring to live that way. Because I know that a lot of, um, and obviously we're talking in the context of Asians here, but like I, I know a lot of Asian families are like that. They really care about what other people think of them. Absolutely. And so they're always comparing as well. Exactly, yeah. Comparing us to someone else's child. I felt like that was a lot of my life, always being compared to um you know, like the children of my mum's friends and always her always telling me that those children are so much better than me and why I couldn't be like them. And yet I would hear them say the same thing, saying, why can't you be like Jenny? Why can't you be that good? Why can't you be that pretty? Why can't you be that good with sports or math or whatever it is they were talking about? Even my own aunt is like that with her three kids. Mm. You know, like they're they're lovely kids. One of them has a master's and she's still saying to them that they're not good enough. And it just seems to be an acceptable part of the culture. And I feel like that's really painful for me, you know, because I've had so much trauma from it and I see my cousins just numb to it. They don't make any response. And I feel like a lot of the Asian friends that I know, I like that as well, that they're so used to hearing this that it's just the norm. They have nothing to say to it. They're just like, oh, yes, that's that's just the way my parents talk to me. Mm. And it's totally fine. Yeah. And I think this contributes a lot to our lack of self-confidence. And also so many of us are doing so many awesome things, but it's still not enough. Yes. And like I talked about it in, in my episode, like my parents weren't actually that bad, to be honest. They were very supportive all the time, but still kind of instilling in your children, like that you can always be better. Like there's always someone who's better than you. Yes, that's it. Someone is always better. You can always get a better grade, do better, look better, be thinner, be taller, be prettier, you know, and this is just drilled into us constantly. Because of this, I don't want my daughter to be raised like this. I This is partly why I push away a lot of my heritage and my culture, because I worry about the damaging aspects of it to her. Even now? Even now, before she was born, I had to have conversations with my mother because a lot of my behavior disappoints my mother. And a few comments she made while I was pregnant was telling me, oh, I will make sure my granddaughter learns the right way of doing things, mm. the right way of talking to other people, the right way of treating your elders. I'm sorry, but no, this is my child. You know, I will raise her the way that I see fit. You will still be allowed a relationship with her, but with very clear boundaries because I don't want to pass on my trauma to my child if I can prevent that at all. Is it difficult having that kind of relationship with your mum as you are yourself becoming a new mother? Yes, because I've before I got pregnant, I just took this. I took the how do I frame it? Not not abuse, but it kind of is abuse to be honest. Yeah, in a way. I just I don't have a nice way of saying it, but just the verbal abuse, you know. She would just constantly put me down and say these things about me. And, you know, when I was pregnant, she told me I looked fat. I'm like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm six <laughs> I'm months pregnant. I'm a human. <laughs> and she was just like, you were fat before that. So I was like, oh, thank you. Wow. 
But since I got pregnant, I don't take that anymore. Before, I would have just ignored her comments, been like a lot of my friends, just, you know, been silent in the face of it because it's not worth the argument. But then I found, as soon as I found out I was having a daughter, I wasn't going to let that happen to her. I don't want a parent, I don't want any family member to ever go up to her and tell her she's not good enough. You know, like, obviously I want to push her to be her best, but she'll never, ever hear from us that we're not proud of her just for being her. Hmm. In an ideal world, how would you like to see mental health be dealt with? I think it needs to be talked about a lot more, um, especially in the context of Asian society. You know, I would love to have been able to sit down and have had a conversation with my extended family about it, you know, with my aunt and tell her, you know, when you say, when you tell your kids that they're not good enough, that actually does hurt them. I'd love to be able to have that confidence and say that to her without her being offended. I can't even have that conversation with my own mother. I know she needs to get help herself. She has a lot of anxiety on her own that she passes on to me, which is where a lot of her comments come from. I do understand that. But she refuses to see it. She only sees it as my problem. But it's only my problem because I'm acknowledging that there is a problem as opposed to just sweeping it under the rug like it's culturally acceptable. It really does need to be a huge cultural shift, I think. I found um, when I was pregnant, I was looking to a lot of this um, more and this experience is common for a lot of us and not just in New Zealand not just the friends I know but around the world you know I've, I've got a Facebook group I'm part of and I see the stories that they share and I feel those stories mm-hmm. I feel like that could be me that is me in your shoes and being told that I'm not good enough once again when I've achieved something that I thought was good you know or being told we're never enough no matter how hard we try being told to to be quiet and to put on a good face, to just accept it, to to treat your elders with respect the way that they're asking us to, and yet they don't treat us with any respect. You know, if people are talking about it, people our generation are talking about it now, then that's better for the next one. You know, it means we're we're more understanding, we're more open to these issues. We've realized now that this isn't the right way to be treating your children. This isn't the right way to be interacting with each other. Mm. You know, that we need to help each other where we can. Yeah, and I know in our cultures, respecting your elders, like, it's so important, but you you can command respect without being abusive. Exactly. I'm learning the importance of setting boundaries with my family. You know, even with my older siblings who have grown up with it for longer than me, they will still have comments that they don't realize are coming off as kind of judgmental about my parenting. You know, when they've not even met my baby or even spent time with me in person. So it's not really fair on me just to have those comments been loaded on because I already have plenty of self-doubt. I don't need anyone making me feel worse than I already do. Yeah. For what it's worth, I think you're doing great so far. It looks like you're doing great. (laughs) So, And you've got a good support network around you, I think. So I think that's really important. And for everyone else as well, like, your trauma and your pain is legitimate and you shouldn't let your family or whoever tell you that it's not. That's taken me time to work through. It's a lot of therapy. You, As I said before, you find the right doctor, you find the right therapist and it kind of just did fall into place. And it wasn't that she told me the answers, but it, she gave me the tools I needed to work through these issues. 
So I haven't been in five or six years now since that happened. And I can still work through my issues now. Like I had a lot of um, antenatal anxiety. And while I can't stop it, I can pinpoint where it's coming from. I can try to tell myself when I'm in the middle that this is why I'm feeling this way. It's not really the situation. I need to try and calm myself down from it. But I'm acknowledging where the feelings are coming from as opposed to wondering, oh, what's wrong with me? Or trying to push it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's why I fared a bit better postnatal as well. Because, you know, you'll you'll get baby blues. You will, the possibility of, you know, postnatal depression is very high, especially when they're telling you from the hospital that you're a bad mom if you can't breastfeed. So I can see where it's starting. Yeah. And to have had a baby in the COVID era where you don't have the same support systems as you might have had before, where you can't even have your partner in the hospital with you, you know, that is so tough to live with. And there's a lot of repercussions on that. They're they're still discovering now and they will for the next few years. But I've been lucky. Mm. I definitely count my blessings. And with the tools that I've been given, this is how I try and work through my issues. It's not that I don't have them but I'm better at handling them now than I ever was before. That's so good to hear. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I know some of the things that we've talked about have been very difficult to talk about. And obviously if anybody else out there is like experiencing the same thing or grappling with the same issues, like don't be afraid to reach out and tell someone and talk to people. I think one more point about the professional is I went through five therapists So the first one you get, if it doesn't work, if you don't gel with them, just move on. Someone's method may not suit you. Keep going until you find someone who does, because when you find the right person, it really does just fall into place. But I had to go through five before I found my person, the right one who could help me in the way that I needed. So don't give up. Thank you as always for listening. If you are struggling and need someone to talk to, you can call or text 1737 to talk to a trained counsellor. Your next starting point is to see your GP for a referral to a mental health service. As Jenny mentioned, you may not find the right one for you on the first go, so don't stop until you find the one that works for you. If you know someone who struggles with mental health, remember to reach out to them and show your support without judgment. As you heard in this episode, it is so important to let people know that you're there for them, even if you may not know what to do. You can find more information and resources through the Mental Health Foundation at mentalhealth.org.nz. And if you're not in New Zealand, I would recommend looking up mental health resources online and checking with your local healthcare provider. There are also platforms like TalkSafe and BetterHelp that offer online therapy.